Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Uh, right now, though, let's talk to Dr. Simon Clark. He's a virology expert and associate professor at the University of Reading. Good morning to you, Simon. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, in terms of uh, the, what we were just discussing with Andre, this uh, opening of a temporary new hospital in the London Excel Centre, we talked about it very briefly on the show before it was confirmed uh, by the health secretary last night, the Nightingale Hospital. 4,000 beds in total. I mean, around the world, we are seeing governments opening up these temporary uh, hospitals. Is, is this a, uh, a sort of taste of what is to come? And I, giving everyone really the first real idea of the sort of scale of infection and serious infection we are going to be seeing? Well, clearly it is. I mean, I, I would be very surprised if this, this is the last example of one of these that we hear of. You could bet your bottom dollar that around the country, uh, health authorities are planning perhaps not quite such large uh, hospitals, but, but similar. Think of them as, as like field hospitals, really, for the epidemic uh, in, in, in other large cities. Um, and what do you make of the uh, research carried out by Yorkshire University? It's not been peer-reviewed yet, but it's very reputable researchers at a top university saying yesterday that they believe half of the British population may already have had the virus since January. I know a lot of people, certainly uh, in, in London, uh, have claimed to have had some very serious uh, you know, flu-like symptoms, coughs and the like. Many people, of course, who get the virus don't ever show any symptoms whatsoever. But they believe that we could perhaps already have seen half the population infected and, and, and therefore have developed already some herd immunity. What do you make of that, given that this information came out on the day we saw the biggest daily rise, a real jump yesterday of 87? Well, if it's correct, and you're quite right to flag up that it hasn't been peer-reviewed yet but if it's correct it's told us that i think over 50 percent between 50 and 60 i think uh, percent of the population has been exposed to this we were only being told well just over a week ago that 60 percent of the population would be sufficient to give everyone herd immunity that rather relies on a few heroic assumptions uh that Everybody, or at least some people, will get um, protective immunity subsequent to an infection. And we don't know that. And if this study is correct, it's suggestive that the protective immunity you get after getting the infection for the first time might not be as comprehensive or as long-lasting or in as many people as is being assumed. That is all if this study is correct. 
Okay, so yes, yeah, so the, 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 there, are, there are still so many unknowns, aren't there? This is the issue. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the big political rows that are ongoing at the moment, uh, certainly a row between uh, the government and, and Sadiq Khan, the London mayor. And I know look, most people listening to this right now are not in London, but it is the capital city. It is where the epicenter of the virus, an awful lot of people who are going to get the virus will get it from somebody who's probably travelled from uh, London in recent weeks. Uh, but this, this row over these ridiculously packed tubes uh, in, in London where people are being, commuters are being forced onto fewer and fewer tubes and therefore instead of being able to sit a long way from each other, they're actually more packed in than they normally would be at rush hour, despite the fact that 80% of people aren't travelling. Um, Sadiq Khan says, look, a fifth, a fifth of his staff are off sick. He can't run a full service, although he's running far less than an 80% service. But also saying it's the construction sites that the government is allowing to continue. They need to close down. Meanwhile, the government's saying... London needs to um, uh, have more more public transport to enable key workers to travel safely. As a as a medical expert, rather than a politician trying to score points, what do you think should happen? Well, I think that that when these politicians make their claims, they should back them up with data. So either this will never catch on, Simon. <laughs> Either Sadiq Khan needs to tell us how many people are travelling on his tube trains to building sites and what effect closing them down will have, or the government, who are presumably refuting that, need to do the same and use those numbers to refute his claims. It's, it's really that simple. I mean, I have to say, the claim that it's shutting the construction sites is, is going to resolve all the uh, overcrowding on the on trains seems quite bizarre to me because I, I look at these pictures. These people don't look like they're travelling to construction sites. I would agree with that, yes. OK. Um, and, and in terms of the uh, interesting advice that we've had uh, from the uh, chief, the deputy chief medical officer, who I think is becoming one of the stars of, of all of this, uh, De- uh, Jenny Harries yesterday, she was asked about, uh, I mean, we'd had questions about her, um, people divorced, separate parents what do they do in terms of their children being travel able allowed to travel between their homes was that essential or non-essential travel and then the question was raised about what about couples who don't live together they may be very long-term couples but they don't share the same home should they be together are they allowed to meet and her advice was that uh, well time to test your relationship and uh, either either keep separate or perhaps move in together um, <laughs> what do you make of that advice well I mean that's really all she could say I mean, the government can't can't start letting in too many exceptions to to the rules because you know I, I get asked questions all the time which have an undertone of do I really need to bother with these rules and regulations? Yes. Um, and and so, so the government needs to to be consistent in what it tells people. And in terms of trying to to keep people safe and for us not to be spreading this virus, look, there'll be lots of people who say, oh well, it's okay if I'm just going to pop out or I'm going to go to the office or I'm or my employer is making me do it. Uh, but everyone, as you say, lots of people think. It, 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 it's just me. It won't make a difference. How, yeah. how much of a lockdown does there need to be for it to be effective? Because a lot of people have been very critical of what the government's done. Say, how can it be a lockdown if people can go and work in an office? How can it be a lockdown if people are on construction sites? But we know that in the other countries in Europe where we're already seeing benefits of the lockdown, in Italy, for instance, we're seeing lower mm-hmm. increases in, in, the, in the number of deaths noticeably in the last few days. Um, and we've seen that in, in China and elsewhere as well. That actually, you know, people are still allowed out to go to work people are allowed out of their homes to do lots of different things well that's why and everybody else needs to observe the lockdown they will it's really impossible let's face it to have a complete lockdown let's just start off with people working in our hospitals you can't lock them down and you wouldn't want to so they're going to move around the population <clears throat> the people in the super, working in supermarkets feeding us uh, they need to go as well so they're going to have to move around and when you start removing people from the the uh, 
curfew list, if you like, then the numbers start to rack up. And then when people on top of that decide that, well, the rules don't really apply to them or they should only apply to other people, which happens so often with things like this, you know, it's, it's okay for everybody else, but I won't worry about it. Um, then, uh, then, then the numbers cra- uh, mount up and it's, it becomes a pointless exercise. So it is really important that everybody does do their bit. Yes, unless you are in one of the accepted groups, you need to do your bit. Those people in those accepted groups are doing their bit, but in an entirely different way. Absolutely. Really wise advice. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us, your time and your expertise. Dr. Simon Clark, virology expert and associate professor at the University of Reading. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Well, joining us to discuss this issue uh, is Meg Hillier. She's chair of the Public Accounts Select Committee in the Commons. She's also the Labour Co-op MP for Hackney South and Shoreditch uh, in East London. Good morning to you, Meg. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, I have to say, one of the things that my family and I have all been discussing, and not in an I'm all right, Jack sort of way, but in a be thankful for what you've got sort of way, is... We are so lucky to not be losing our jobs, to be financially secure, to to have homes that we can comfortably stay in and really aware, all of us, um, that that there are millions of people who are absolutely terrified right now about losing their jobs, losing their income, but also stuck in very cramped, overcrowded, difficult conditions, often with uh, three generations of the family, maybe lots of young children and the like, in really very difficult conditions. And that is very much your concern today. Absolutely. I mean, you know, something that I see week in, week out, I visit people at home, see families where you've got one family living in the bedroom, one in the living room, that can be for a number of reasons, um, mainly because we don't have enough affordable, good quality housing for people to move into. And I've also got whole families who live in hostel rooms. So um, one, a little, little while ago, a woman came out of hospital with her newborn baby into a room which she was sharing with her husband and her toddler. And that's the reality for far too many people. So what I'm suggesting is that the government reinvigorates a plan that took place in previous recessions in 92 and in 2008 to buy up uh, empty private housing and make sure that's available to those families. Now, it won't, you can't happen overnight, but this is not going to be solved overnight. And those families are in a desperate situation and public health wise, you know, mental health wise, because they're all crammed in together. And it's just not, it just shines a light for the rest of the world, if you like, on something yeah. that we've known about in my part of the world. And as you say, multi-generational households, I was talking to a colleague from the West Midlands where that's a big issue for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, it, when people are in those sort of overcrowded conditions, far more likely to pass the virus uh, and also far more likely perhaps to, to feel that actually it's worth the risk to flout the rules to go outside when you don't need to. Well, absolutely. And of course, some of these people are also have got jobs. You know, we have this thing called no recourse to public funds, which is if you get leave to remain in this country as someone who's applied to stay in the UK, you, you, you do it so on the basis that you work, but you can't claim any benefits. Well, you know, that sounds, whatever you think about that normally, that, that sounds, you know, people can work, people do work. But when you've lost your job or you can't go to work because you're self-isolating, yeah. what do you do? You have no way of paying for anything um, and you're in a really difficult situation. There. So I've also asked the Home Secretary uh, to look at lifting that because pe- these are people who have worked and contributed as well. But the overcrowding is a really desperate situation. And, you know, we've got people who are sharing beds with their teenage children. This is something that is not uncommon uh, in my constituency and sometimes sharing beds with more than one child where you've got one. If you visit properties, you see you know one or two beds crammed into a room uh, where the whole family sleep 
another family member sleeps on the sofa uh, and then that, that is the living conditions uh, that people are living in. And imagine being locked in that, Julia, as you say, you know, for anyone who's got more space. And we see keep seeing on the on media uh, nice pictures of people teaching their children in big spaciousness. Oh, yes. And gardens. Yes. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, I'm not, it's lovely that people live like that. Uh, good for them. But that's not the reality for so many people. There are millions mind. of people, particularly, and I think a lot of people who live outside of London realise you know, how few people do have access to, to garden space uh, if they're living in, in flats or, or in communal living. Uh, Meg Hillier, you raise a really important point. And there, I think there are going to be a lot of wake-up calls in this country as a result of this uh, virus epidemic. Meg Hillier, uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, I'm going to get the thoughts of uh, Andre Walker on all of that in just a few moments' time. We're also going to be talking to Robert Jenrick, the Housing Secretary, uh, about that call for 250,000 volunteers uh, to uh, come and help uh, out uh, people who are being forced to stay at home. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Delighted to be joined by the Housing Communities and Local Government Secretary, Robert Jenrick. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Obviously now, obviously the community side of your uh, remit, very important as we uh, see the, uh, the attempt to get an army of volunteers to help the NHS announced by your colleague, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, in that press conference last night. He wants 250,000 people to volunteer to look after the one and a half million most vulnerable in society. Tell us what it is you, you well, who those people can be, what are they going to be expecting? to do and and how it's going to work and how they sign up? Well, absolutely. We're facing a national crisis and we need a collective national effort to support the NHS through this. We can all do this in our daily lives anyway by following the government's advice to stay at home and in doing so protect the NHS and save people's lives. But I know there are hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people across the country who want to go further than that. And that's why we're launching this initiative to get volunteers to support us. We want, as you say, at least 250,000 people. You've got to be over 18. You've got to be fit and healthy and obviously not uh, symptomatic with coronavirus. You can sign up online and there'll be a lot of different jobs that you can do from helping us to get uh, supplies to the front line, from being volunteer trans 
transport workers getting uh, patients to and from hospital, delivering parcels like medicines to people's doorsteps. Lots of tasks, some which require some skills, others which, frankly, any of us could do as long as we're fit and healthy and willing to take on the job. And so in- there's, there's something that everyone can do. Perhaps people who say they haven't got that many hours in the day, they're still working, but they still want to help. You can perhaps you know, volunteer you know, just for some, some hours a day. Yeah, there'll be opportunities to do things in your free time or at weekends. And I think this is such an important way of contributing. You can see the thousands of NHS staff who are returning to the workplace. Um, 11,000 people have come back just in the last couple of days, doctors and nurses, to support the NHS. There's things that we can all do in our daily lives as well. And in particular, we've identified 1.5 million people for whom... Uh, There are specific clinical reasons that place them at high risk of being hospitalised and then being in danger as as a result of coronavirus. And for these people, we need to put in place a package of support to shield them from the virus. We're asking them to stay at home for at least 12 weeks, to have little, if any, face-to-face contact, not to leave the house at all. And so that means there's a range of things we need to be doing for them, helping them to get food and basic supplies, helping to get their medicines delivered to them. And if we want to protect them properly in physical and mental health, giving them a degree of human contact with the outside world. All right. Well, the the human contact with the outside world has been quite a big uh, political row in the last 24 hours as well. There's been a lot of pressure on the Prime Minister uh, to try and impose further travel restrictions to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Uh, Commuters we saw, particularly in London yesterday, crammed back on uh, to the London Tube Network after Sadiq Khan, the London Mayor, had cut the number of tubes. Uh, And he, in return, Sadiq Khan, demanding that the Prime Minister uh, stop putting economic interests before public health and close down non-essential construction sites. How certain are you that the construction sites can carry on safely with workers travelling to and from work and working safely on those sites? Well, the guidelines that we've issued to workers are clear. If you can work from home, you must do so. If it's impossible to do that, then you can go to work, but you should travel there uh, directly. And when you're there, you should follow the Public Health England's guidelines, as should your employer who have a duty to do that. Those guidelines guidelines are stringent and not all employers will be able to follow them. And as a result of that, a number, including in the construction sector, are choosing to temporarily close. But if it's possible to follow the guidelines, then you can stay in the workplace. Those guidelines include, for example, remaining two metres apart as far as you possibly can throughout the working day. There will be construction sites where that is possible. There will be those where it clearly isn't. And where it isn't possible, then they shouldn't be operating. So I think we've been clear about that. There's a second issue about how workers get into work uh, in the morning. And in London, we've seen some scenes of very crowded tube trains and Our advice to the Mayor of London would be to lay on more tube services at the peak hours so that anyone, regardless of their occupation, but certainly those people working in key functions like in the NHS, can do so without having to be cheek by jowl with other people, can sit two metres apart. 
I think that would be a very important step forward and would allay the public's concerns okay. in the days and weeks ahead. What about concerns about overcrowding, not on the travelling uh, to and from home and work, but actually at home? We've just spoken a few moments ago to Labour Corp MP uh, Meg Hillier about overcrowding in people's homes, particularly in lots of uh, inner city constituencies, people living cheek by jowl, uh, often two or three generations in the same home, people uh, having to share bedrooms with their children, uh, sleeping on the on the sofas, in hostel accommodation, in B&Bs. She's urging the government to buy up empty private housing right now, housing which simply isn't going to be sold on the market right now, uh, to provide homes for those people, given that we are looking at something that's going to last months, not just a matter of days. Would you consider that? Well, I haven't seen that proposal from Meg Healy. I obviously consider any option that's available to us to support people through this crisis. We're clearly concerned about the impact on people's physical and mental health, about being cooped up inside the home for long hours of the day. That's why uh, we've made clear that you can go out for walks. You should do so responsibly. So when doing that, uh, you should only do it for a limited period every day. You're doing it for health and well-being, not for fun to go and have a picnic in the park or uh, go and congregate with others. You should only be doing that with your household or with one other person so that you limit physical contact when you're doing that. But I would strongly encourage people to get out and go for a walk down the street or uh, through the town or the village, depending where you live. This is going to be difficult, and you've seen scenes in other European countries where many more people live in flats than they do in the UK, uh, that it can obviously be tough to be inside for such long periods of the day. We're going to have to just work through this. It's absolutely critical that we do so. And remember that by staying at home, you will be helping to save people's lives. So it's critical that we follow that guidance. And and what do you make, just finally, I know time is against us, about the companies, uh, the banks and others who have been accused of profiteering at this time. Uh, We had a call yesterday from the former pensions minister, Ros Altman, for uh, banks to be told to lower their interest rates on on credit cards, on mortgages, could be looking, sorry, mortgages, on uh, on overdrafts, where you could be looking at 40% uh, 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 charges uh, for your overdraft. Sports Direct accused of putting their prices up at this time. eBay and Amazon... uh, still unable to control people who are trying to sell things like hand sanitizer gel at exorbitant, exorbitant prices. What do you say to those organisations, those businesses and those individuals who are trying to profit out of this coronavirus epidemic? This is a national crisis and we need to come together as a country and work our way through it. Everyone has a part to play in that from us all as citizens to the business community. I think, to be fair, most people are. People are coming together. There's thousands of people who are volunteering. There's thousands of people who are returning to work in the NHS. People overall are complying with the tough guidelines and the new rules that we've brought in in the way that we live our lives and distance from others. I mean, a small minority are flouting those rules and there will be enforcement action taken against them. It's absolutely critical that people see that we're all in this. This is on all of us. We need to behave responsibly, whether that's when we're going to the shops, where how we're thinking about our neighbours and ensuring they get the supplies, and if we're businesses, how we support our employees and our customers. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Housing Communities and Local Government Secretary Robert Jenrick. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.